Roses are red, violets are blue. They'll need dental records to identify you. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. Okay, so I never like starting shows off on a sad note, but there is something that needs to be mentioned. Uh, very recently reported, Ivan Reitman, the producer, director who gave us Ghostbusters. He passed away at the age of 75. Uh, apparently he passed away on February 12th. It was just recently reported as I'm recording this late night, February 13th. Um, this is kind of big for my generation. Ghostbusters is something that it's actually the beauty of Ghostbusters is there's almost no one I know that doesn't like that movie. Uh, and I mean, Ivan Reitman did more than just Ghostbusters, but for my generation, and for the generations that followed, of course, uh, Ghostbusters is one of those things where when people talk about it, they just, everybody always has that favorite moment or that favorite character. There's, uh, how many times do you quote Ghostbusters? I mean, <laughs> even just recently, I mean, so many times I've seen the quote of, you know, if someone asks you if you are a god, you say yes. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it just transcends throughout the last, what, four decades. And I mean, he did other stuff as well, obviously, Kindergarten Cop, uh, Evolution, geez, what else, Stripes, Heavy Metal. I mean, Ivan Reitman's name has been around for a long time. He worked with Cronenberg on the movie uh, Shivers, you know, like, his, his, he's been around for so long. Oh, and Rabbit, I can't forget Rabbit either. Uh, <laughs> but I mean... It's just, yeah, he just passed away, he passed away February 12th, and just before I was about to start recording this, it was reported, and, you know, it just, I was like, wow, that, that was a big one. I mean, 75 years old, lived a good, good life, you know what I mean? I mean, I know some people stay, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, 75, he was still so young. Yes, I, I, I hate talking about death in that sort of way, because... Death discriminates against nothing and no one. It just happens when it does. It sucks, but it's part of life. And I don't like saying who lived a full life and who didn't because 
we you'll never really know. Um, but I mean, Ivan Reitman did so much. So when I saw that, obviously I was like, well, I have to talk about it. I, I don't like starting shows off on a very sad note, but yes, uh, February 12th, 2022, uh, Ivan Reitman passed away at the age of 75. And we will forever remember him from Ghostbusters, along with so many others. I mean, he's done so much, but Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, whatever. I mean, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. There's another one. <laughs> I mean, he produced that as well. Um, produced so many great films. I think he only directed like 25, though. From, yeah, 25. Um, well, um, yeah, there... It, According to IMDb, that's what I'm on right now. They they say he did 25, so I'll take their word for it, I guess. Uh, but anyways, enough of that. Let's move on to happier, more loving times. Let's talk about hearts and, and love and obviously blood and guts because that's what this show is all about. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero... Always remember, there is more than one way to lose your fucking heart. Quoting Ice Nine Kills when I say that. Welcome back, everyone, to What Lurks, what lurks behind, behind Podcast behind Zero. Zero. And yes, I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And welcome back to episode 117. Yes, I know, I think the last episode I said there was going to be a two-week break. So this thing kind of happened where... I don't know why, but I got kind of addicted to the Olympics, which normally I don't. Like, well, Winter Olympics I enjoy, but I never really get, like, totally hooked on it. And it seems like every day I'd just, I would go on the internet, click on it. CBC's website has, like, access to every single event, and I would just keep watching them. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I keep watching them. Next thing I knew, it was... You know, it was almost time to start recording. And I'm like, I have nothing. I have no notes. No, I was not prepared. So it's like, okay, you know what? Actually, the smarter thing to do would be to push this episode to the next weekend anyways, because it's St. Valentine's Day. Well, for Monday, which is the day you guys are getting this episode. And my next episode is a Valentine's special somewhat of, uh, sorts, whatever, uh, because I am talking about the 1981 slasher flick, My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, so that's this week's episode, and it was like, you know what, it actually makes sense. Push it an extra week. I know I shouldn't do that, but I was like, you know what, just do it, because then it fits the theme, and then, like, you know, at, when everyone's downloading it and streaming it and listening to it, and well, I know it's mainly bots that are downloading my stuff, but hey, <laughs> Who knows? Uh, maybe someone out there is listening. Anyways, I thought it'd be kind of cool, you know, release it on Valentine's Day, which is when I should do this. So that's what happened. Before we get into the review of the week, though, a little bit of Blade Runner talk. And you're like, Blade Runner? What's that got to do with Valentine's? Absolutely fucking nothing. But I got some great news this week. Being a huge Blade Runner fan... This was awesome news to me. Uh, we've been waiting for that third film to get greenlit. I know there was rumors that it was going to happen and this and that. And I mean, I've even talked about it on the show that it's like, well, you know, I think it was Cinema Blend was, you know, they were saying that it, the third film was greenlit, but there was no confirmation of it. Whatever. Well, anyways, this week we got big news because the replicants are heading to the small screen. 
Yeah, uh, Amazon Studios will be putting out a live action series that will be set in the Blade Runner universe uh, and executive producing Ridley Scott. Yep. So the series that's coming out is Blade Runner 2099, which is going to take place 50 years after 2049. Uh, And... so it's being developed at Amazon Studios. They're already looking at scripts and they're already looking at production dates. Whatever this story is going to be about, I have no clue yet. All I know is that it takes place 50 years after 2049. So the thing is, is I'm not thinking Harrison Ford's going to be back. All right, whatever. I'm okay with it unless we find out he is a replicant, but I highly doubt that. Uh, it will be another neo-noir sci-fi, this time series, uh, not a film. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool because just recently, uh, Blade Runner Black Lotus, the anime that was on Crunchyroll and I want to say Adult Swim was the other ones, uh, putting it out there. Anyways, it just finished, um... I think it was actually last weekend it was 13 episodes total and i got caught up finally this past week and i finished off the series and i gotta say it was pretty fucking awesome i i actually really really enjoyed it and i know some people you know they complained about the animation style and whatnot i personally actually really liked it i like i said especially with the whole star wars thing and whatnot I've gotten used to that 3D animation look. Ghost in the Shell uh, 2045 did it as well. Standalone Complex 2045. So I'm, I've am i gotten used to that animation style. It doesn't bother me that much anymore. And you got to figure we've had, so far, we've had Blade Runner from 1982, obviously. Uh, Blade Runner Blackout 22, uh, 2022. And Blade Runner 2049. And then you had Black Lotus that was kind of like... It was in between 2022 and 2049... And it kind of ties everything together really nicely, um, especially showing the rise to power of Neander Wallace Jr., who was the character played by Jared Leto in 2049. Um, And I really enjoyed that. There's a lot of... um, Well, let's put it this way. Uh, We saw Jared Leto's character, and he has a certain um, physical appearance. Well, that physical appearance gets explained in Black Lotus, and I thought that was really cool. They also show how he rose to power, obviously. Um, But it it really... It had a lot of, like, subtle twists and whatnot that really kind of brought the whole universe together. So I actually really enjoyed it, and yeah, I know some people felt that it was slow. It does start off slow. I'm not going to say it doesn't. It has a slow start to it. But it makes sense why once you see the full aspect. I know myself personally, I'm definitely going to go back and basically rewatch all 13 episodes, hopefully in one one big drive, which shouldn't be hard. Each episode's about 20 minutes long. Take off credits and whatnot. It's about 20 minutes long each, so 13 of those, eh, you're looking at maybe a couple hours. And I, I do want to kind of just watch it as one full thing, but... I gotta say, like, especially the latter half of the episode run, um, pretty much I'd say since, like, what, episode 7 onward, it was like a gunshot of twists and turns and just intense moments and great narratives and whatnot. So, yes, it starts off slow, it ends off with a bang. It's it's really fucking good. All in all, it, it was a really great story that was told. 
and I was really glad it happened. And so I thought, you know what? Let's put these two stories together. Let's talk about you know 2099 coming out and Black Lotus. And yes, and also for those of you who do, some of you know, some of you don't. Um, Blade Runner Black Lotus, they do have a soundtrack as well. Now, it's not the score, and that's kind of my issue with it, because I want the score. I love the score to Black Lotus. So, hoping the score eventually gets released, whether it be through Death Waltz Records or Waxwork or whoever. But I do know that there is a soundtrack with the, let's say, the more poppier kind of songs and stuff like that. There, It is out there. It's even out on a gorgeous-looking vinyl record and whatnot. I haven't picked it up myself, but who knows, maybe one day I will. Now, moving on to a little bit of Valentine's kind of stuff that just recently happened, and I'm only going to talk about this very quickly because I also want to quickly highlight a a movie that caught me by surprise that I really enjoyed, and then we're going to get into the review of the week. First off, though, this past Friday, Joe Bob's Heartbreak Trailer Park special. Yeah, Um, so we did a Valentine's special again this year. Uh, much like the previous year where, uh, what were the films? There was The Love Witch and for the life of, oh, Tammy and the T-Rex. Uh, that was the other one. This year it was, we had Blood Roses and Frankenhooker. Honestly, I can really say that I'd never seen Blood Roses before. I thought I had actually. And then when I was watching it, I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen this before. I really enjoyed it though. Um, Kind of in the same vein as Trick or Treat uh, from 1986, not the 2007 anthology film, but the one that, you know, starred Skippy from Family Ties. Blood Roses is kind of that same idea where it's like, you know, heavy metal music is the devil. Yeah, because it came it came on the heels of that whole Tipper Gore thing when she stared up the PMRC and they're trying to censor music and all this other bullshit and whatnot, which... Clearly, as time went on, I mean, so many bands actually took that parental advisory sticker thing. They took that as like a trophy. It was like, oh, hey, you're going to plop that on our albums? Great. We sell more when you do that. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so Blood Roses is kind of that story where it's like there's the satanic rock group kind of thing trying to take over the kids and whatnot. Sort of like Trick or Treat was with Sammy Kerr taking over, you know. Uh, Skippy. I can never remember his fucking name in the movie, though. But Because uh, I think it's because every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, it's Skippy. Because I grew up watching Family Ties, right? So, yeah, they did Blood Roses and then Frankenhooker, which was one that, you know, Darcy had been wanting to do forever. I mean, fans have been craving that since Shudder picked it up. God, it was almost a year ago when they got Frankenhooker and everybody was like, you got to do Frankenhooker. Well, Joe Bob finally did it. It was a great special. He had some special guests as well. For Blood Roses, there was the Boulet Brothers, uh, basically known for their series uh, Dragula, I believe it is, on Shudder. I'm not going to lie. I'm not one for reality shows, so I haven't given it a chance yet. I know some people are like, oh, you don't like watching drag queens? I got nothing against that. I don't like reality shows. I've never bought into them. I've never cared for them, whether it be Survivor or any, especially these music ones that keep coming out. And I know some people, like, they really love, like, the Masked Singer and the voice and all that. I can't do it. I just, I can't watch reality TV. I can't watch these contest TV things. It's just not me. That doesn't, I'm not saying that these guys aren't great. When the Boulay brothers were talking during the Joe Bob like episode and whatnot, they're actually extremely like interesting and intelligent. So it was, 
even though I may not follow their show, I enjoyed every second they were on there. Like they were just a lot of fun. And then during Frankenhooker, we got Frank Henenlotter and James Lorenz. Both of which, Frank Henenlotter, I've seen a lot of interviews with him, so I know the kind of person he is and whatnot. He's fun to listen to. He's always got these great extravagant stories about New York City and whatnot. James Lorenz was something that was a little bit different for me because I wasn't familiar with the way he is. I haven't seen many interviews with him and whatnot. So that was actually a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, for the Frankenhooker you know, uh, portion of the show... I was actually more intrigued by the interviews than I was the movie because I've seen the movie like a hundred times. So it's like, I've been down this road before with Frankenhooker. I want to hear Henenlotter and Lorenz talking. But um, during Blood Roses, I got to say, both the movie and the Boulay brothers were a complete smash. I had a lot of fun watching this this time, like this special coming around and whatnot. And yes, during Frankenhooker, if you haven't figured out by now, Darcy, who loves to do cosplays, did cosplay as the Frankenhooker herself. So it was awesome. It was a great special. One more thing I quickly want to talk about from Shudder is another Shudder exclusive that came out that I kind of just like read the synopsis of it and I was like, that sounds interesting. So I gave it a chance. I got to say, when Shudder releases their exclusives, they're fucking bang on. I, I, I got to say that. So this one is Slapface from 2021. And it was interesting because after I watched it, I always go to the internet and I'm like, okay, so how many people tore this movie down? I actually saw quite a lot of praise for it, but I did see one review where the author was claiming that this was better than James Wan's Malignant. And for me, that's stretching it a wee bit uh, because Malignant is a fucking amazing movie that being said with slap face this movie is solid for sure not overacted or underacted um it was done just well enough and that's considering that the majority of the cast are quite young so that goes a long way because none of them actually took away from the film by overacting or underacting it was just right it, it was there was a great use of tension in the film without the need for jump scares you know and jump scares are becoming way too overused in this era hollywood especially they really need to stop with the fucking jump scares because too many people are doing it um and this didn't need jump scares but it still had great tension great use of shadows um the photography for this film was very well done and the score complements the film like adequately enough to layer up the creepiness uh but what the film does very well so here's the thing a lot of horror films and it always bothers me when i see people will say oh i'm tired of horror movies with messages do you know how many like that's actually the point of most horror films is to have some subtle message in it this one was about domestic violence and abuse Without the need to overkill the exposition, and I loved it for that. It allowed room for the audience themselves to piece the story together. You didn't have someone just slamming a bunch of exposition on you where you're going, okay, I get it, thanks for ruining it for me, I'm not that dumb. No, this movie allowed people to just figure it out on their own and watch it. And it's an art form that does not get utilized enough, especially in these this era, and it's a goddamn shame that it doesn't happen more. I will say, when you're watching Slapface, it may not be the best movie of the year, obviously. It, it's it's going to be lumped in that middle category. 
but it's definitely one that's worth checking out. And I was like, you know what? This week, I'm talking about it on the show because it took me by surprise. I I saw the poster that Shutter released with it, and I, I read the synopsis, and I'm like, all right, sounds like it's a good like time waster. And to be to be honest, it was at a point where I wasn't watching the Olympics, so it was like, all right, you know, I'll just pop this thing on. Let's see. I haven't watched. That's the thing. The, the past couple of weeks, I've hardly watched any movies. I was like, yeah, maybe I want to start getting back into that again. So <laughs> I turned that movie on and I'm like, uh, this was really good. So it was one that I had to mention. But now it's time to discuss. Like I said, way back at the beginning of this episode, I said, you know, there's more than one way that you can lose your fucking heart. Now, <laughs> that's not necessarily the tagline for this movie, but I like the way Ice Nine Kills delivered that line. <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, we're going to talk about a movie that's... Hey, we're going back to a better time, okay? We're going to go back to a time when movies depicted men as sexual pigs. Yeah! Remember those days when, you know, every man in uh, some form of a rom-com or a romantic horror film was all about getting laid on Valentine's Day. Well, not really. Valentine's Day was just more or less they wanted to get laid. And, you know, especially in this movie, it's kind of funny because... There's even one line in the movie where the guy's like, oh, I've got a gift for her. She won't know how to handle. Um, wait, uh, never mind. Fuck. Take that any way you want. But anyways, yeah, I, this <laughs> this is a kind of a funny movie because it's like it's a really good classic. But at the same time, in today's era, I think a lot of people would tear this movie apart. Yet it's interesting that the remake actually pushed the boundaries a little bit more even. Anyways, we're going to do the trailer timeout. And then when we come back, we're going to dig deep into a time warp. We're going to go back to Canadian uh, Canadian mine in Nova Scotia. Um, we're going to go back to Hanager Mine. Even though Hanager Mine doesn't actually exist in Canada, but it's where it was filmed. Uh, we're going to go back to a little treasure trove in the slasher known as My Bloody Valentine. Back in a stab, my vicious little cupids. It's a bad time, this time of year. How many times is he going to tell this story? Oh, let him tell it. I love fairy tales. This ain't no fairy tale, little girl. If you don't take it seriously, you're a fool! <laughs> the first Valentine's dance in 20 years has to be something special. Look, Flanders, you gotta get a lot of exercise if you're gonna grapple with Gretchen. Oh yeah? Well, I got a Valentine for her that she's never gonna forget. <laughs> In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. It can't be happening again. It can't be happening again. What's going on over in Valentine Bluffs? It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. 
cancel the dance or it'll happen to Trace. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Take your pick. My bloody Valentine. Okay, my darlings, before I jump into my bloody Valentine, something I kind of want to complain about. I know, here I go again, doing my old man complaining. But here's my thing. Remember I mentioned Black Roses earlier in the episode? Okay, there's a soundtrack for this movie. It's actually a really good soundtrack, too. It's sort of like Trick or Treat, you know, from 1986. Had a great soundtrack. Well, so did Black Roses. And actually, with both films, I mean, okay, the CD, the compact disc version, is not that hard to find. Trick or Treat is a lot easier to find than, say, Black Roses, but Black Roses, the sound, the, the, the compact disc is out there. Unfortunately, a lot of people want a lot of money for it. It's same with the vinyl release. Same with the fucking cassette, which cassettes, come on, cassettes did not have great sound quality. What are you charging so much for a fucking cassette for? But anyways, my thing is, is that in the digital era, why is it so hard to find a soundtrack for a movie that we love from the 80s? I mean, sure, some of them like Top Gun and whatnot, they're easy to find. I mentioned Top Gun because I know someone's going to be listening to this going, Top Gun's not hard to find. No, I know it's not. But Black Roses is. And it pisses me off because I spent like three fucking days on the internet trying to find a copy that didn't cost me my fucking testicles. And it's impossible to find. I hate this. Come on now. Like in the digital world that we live in, This should not be hard to find. I should be able to easily find this soundtrack on Spotify. And and I know right now everyone's all like, oh, I'm pulling my music from Spotify. Yes, Neil Young, nobody cares, okay? Most of your fan base have your shit on fucking 8-track, okay? Like, they they don't care if you pull your shit off Spotify. What, because somebody listened to a meathead podcaster? Um, hello? (laughs) Anybody's listening to my podcast and taking me seriously they're doing it wrong well it's the same with joe fucking rogan okay anyways getting back to black roses i'm just saying i don't understand why we make it so difficult for people to have something maybe okay yeah i get it because black roses is considered a b movie and it's low budget and it's a piece of shit i know gene siskel and everybody else fucking hated it and of course it's taking a shot at tipper gore and whatnot okay fine still though the music was there it was good we enjoyed it. Make it so that the soundtrack is easy to find for those of us who do want it. And on that note, okay, let's let's move on. So, My Bloody Valentine was released February 11th, 1981 in the United States. And two days later in Canada on February 13th. And the working title for the film was The Secret. Um... Yeah, because apparently when they came up with the idea for this movie... So the whole thing is is that with My Bloody Valentine, sort of cashing in on the whole slasher craze of the 80s and whatnot. Well, late 70s, early 80s, you know. Especially thanks to movies like Halloween and Friday the 13th. And so the producers, when they were coming up with the idea for My Bloody Valentine, they wanted to cash in on the whole holiday thing, right? So they went with 
Valentine's Day. And then the working title for the film was The Secret because they wanted to keep it a secret so nobody would steal their idea. <laughs> it's kind of cool in a way when you think about it. But um, I mean, and, and even prior to Halloween and Friday the 13th, we had Black Christmas, which, you know, is another great Canadian flick on top of that. So My Bloody Valentine, though, the film was directed by George Mahalka. And this was only his second film after he had worked on the teen hijinks film known as Pick Up Summer. Keep that movie in mind because it comes up a lot. Uh, George also, I'm going to really show my age and how lame I can be sometimes because <laughs> let's see how many of you remember this. So George worked on a TV show that was uh, late 80s, if I remember correctly, somewhere like 89 to 90 or 87 to 89, somewhere around there. And I... I, I probably have it written down somewhere and i'll find it eventually but anyways how many of you remember the show tnt and you're thinking mm, sounds familiar i mean especially if you're in my age bracket but anyways tnt was a episodic crime series that was on tv it was i think it had two seasons starring mr t and you're like, oh, wow, really? He went there? Yes, I did. Because <laughs> the, the show was that uh, Mr. T was like a former boxer and he was accused of murder. And then he gets off. He, they find out he didn't commit the murder. So he gets off and he becomes basically a private eye detective. Yeah, George Mahalka worked on four episodes of that show. So that's kind of cool. I, I think, believe he directed them, actually. So I thought that was kind of cool when I was <laughs> going through, like, looking up his bio and whatnot. And I'm like... TNT, my God, I actually remember watching that when it was on TV. And so I was like, I had to mention that. He also worked on the 1991 horror thriller, The Psychic. I don't know how many of you know that one, but uh, that was the film that starred Zach Galligan, you know, Billy from Gremlins. Uh, it starred him and Catherine Mary Stewart from The Last Starfighter. So. Yeah, he's worked on a few gems that were near and dear to my heart. But yes, TNT, mm -hmm, he worked on that. My Bloody Valentine was uh, produced by John Dunning and Andre Link and Stephen Miller. Now, John Dunning, as actually John Dunning and Andre Link both worked on films like Meatballs, uh, Buffalo 66, which is with Christina Ricci. Happy birthday to her, by the way. She just turned, what, she just turned 40, I think. Doesn't look it, but yeah, she just, uh, mm, yeah, I'm thinking 40, because she was born in 82, so yeah, she just turned 40, and she just had a baby too, so congrats to her, and uh, also John and Andre were attached to the 2009 remake of My Bloody Valentine, uh, Stephen Miller also did the 2009 remake, and then he did this, here again, I'm going to bring up another TV show that you're like, he's actually going here, yes I am. There was a late 90s comic book based show. The, the TV series was called Nightman, which was about a jazz musician who he got struck by lightning and he became a superhero. Yeah, that exists. That happened. Um, as a matter of fact, oh, fuck. Who? Damn it. I can't remember the name of the writer, too. The guy who did the comics. Oh, shit. It's going to bother me. But, anyways. Um, yeah, so he, Stephen Miller, was also um, responsible for Nightman. As a matter of fact, I believe like he, he did a lot of the writing for the show, if I remember correctly, as well as producing. Uh, the screenplay for My Bloody Valentine was written by John Baird, based on a concept by Stephen Miller. Um, John was also an uncredited writer for uh, uncredited writer 
for another classic slasher known as uh, Happy Birthday to Me. If you've never seen that, I highly recommend it. It's actually a really good slasher. Um, it kind of it, it was also produced by John Dunning and Andre Link, I should also add. But Happy Birthday to Me is another Canadian slasher, but sort of in its own world. Like I mean, it working on the whole idea of like the holiday aspect except this time it's about you know birthdays and whatnot um and it's not to be confused with bloody birthday either uh, it's a it's a different I don't know, it's a slasher that i actually really enjoy i um actually have it on blu-ray it came in a two-pack it was happy birthday to me and um when a stranger calls is uh the one with uh carol kane yeah i it, it it's a good movie. I highly recommend Happy Birthday to Me if you haven't seen it. Moving on to cinematography for My Bloody Valentine was done by Rodney Gibbons, and he also worked on films like The Amityville Curse, uh, Scanners 2, Screamers. If you've ever seen that one, that's a, it's an interesting flick. And he worked on 1997's uh, Stranger in the House. The music. Or My Bloody Valentine was done by Canadian composer Paul Zaza. He's got a nice resume. He's worked on quite a lot of uh, good films. Uh, 96 films or TV shows to date, which included all four Prom Night movies. And I think he actually even did the remake as well. I'm not 100% sure on that. But I know the original four Prom Night films, one um, Hello Mary Lou, and then there's Prom Night 3 and Prom Night 4. He did all those. He did Porky's. Um, he did the movie Curtains, which is an interesting one. He did Bob Clark's Christmas Story. Uh, there's another film called Turk 182, which is like a comedy. He worked on that. He worked on Meatballs 3, The Brain, Popcorn from 1991. He worked on The Rage from 1997. The Rage is an interesting one. I like mentioning that one because Gary Busey and Lorenzo Lamas were in that. And it was directed by Sidney J. Fury. And if you're like, the name sounds a little familiar. If you saw the movie Iron Eagle, he was the director for that. He also worked on Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Crickets. I know. Uh, nobody likes Superman 4. I don't know why. It's so bad, but it's just fun. It's stupid fun. And I mean, it's still Christopher Reeve as, you know, Superman. So, but yeah, it's a bad movie. I know. I know it is. Okay, let's move on to our starring cast, which it's quite a lengthy cast this week. There's a lot of people in this. Uh, so I tried to narrow down um, like their their history and their resumes and whatnot. Some people it was easy because this is the only film they've done. But other people, they had like lengthy resumes and whatnot. So I tried to keep it narrowed down a little bit. So we're going to start off with Paul Kelman. He basically plays T.J. Hanniger. Which I did not know this until I was researching this, but TJ actually stands for Tom Jesse. Which I'm sure at some point in the movie it probably said that and it slipped me every time. But yeah, so TJ Hanniger is played by Paul Kelman and he's actually really good in it. He was also in Black Roses. I mentioned that yet again. He played Julie's stepdad in that. Which it was interesting because when I was watching Black Roses during the Joe Bob special, I'm like, God, that guy looks familiar. And then the next night I watched My Bloody Valentine. I'm like, oh, yeah, there he is. All right, never mind. I remember now. <laughs> Memory ain't that good at 46 years old. I'm going to admit that, okay? I admit my, my faults, okay? I have a bad memory at times. 
Uh, Lori Hallier uh, plays Sarah. Um, and she was she was a, a character actor, especially in the 80s and 90s. Showed up in a lot of TV shows like Star Trek Voyager, uh, RoboCop, the series from 1994, I believe. Uh, she did, I think it was either one or two episodes of The Hitchhiker, and she was in Total Recall 2070. I will admit I never did watch that series, so I can't comment on how good or bad it was, but I do know it existed. I will say that. Neil Affleck, no relation to Ben, uh, as Axel Palmer. He was also in Scanners. I mentioned that I mentioned about Scanners earlier. And here's an interesting thing about Neil. Neil would go on to do a lot of directing. He directed seven episodes of The Simpsons between the years of 1997 and 2000. So I thought that was worth mentioning because it's like, wow, like he he had moved up. You know, you you make The Simpsons, you're basically a made person. I guess that's the way they look at it in, you know, stardomize. I don't know. Moving on to Cynthia Dale as Patty. Not going to lie, as teenager growing up, had a crush on her. I thought she was really cute in this movie. Anyways, Cynthia Dale as Patty. She was also in the movie Moonstruck with Cher. And Nicolas Cage. That's why I'm mentioning that, because she's worked with the Cage. Don Franks. Okay, so here's a name. He's got quite the resume, and there are some really interesting titles his name is attached to. Don Franks plays our police chief, uh, Jake Newby. 196 credits to his name. No, I did not write down all 196, but I will say he was in Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he was a part of that he was also the voice of, here we go, now I'm going to throw this one out at you. He was the voice of Boba Fett. Boba Fett, Boba Fett, whatever you, however you pronounce it. In the Star Wars Holiday Special. Remember from 1978, that really bad thing? But there was that really little short like cartoon with Boba Fett in it. Yeah, he was the voice of Boba Fett in that. He was also the voice of Boba Fett in, I believe it was Droids? Uh, the, the cartoon series Droids. He was the voice of that. He was the voice of Dr. Claw in the 80s cartoon Inspector Gadget. So that's pretty fucking cool. He also worked on Ewoks, which was another Star Wars cartoon from the 80s. And he worked on like a ton of Saturday morning cartoons like Alf Tales, uh, Captain Power and the Soldiers, uh, Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> Garbage Pail Kids. Gotta love that. He was on the Care Bears. Police Academy, the animated series, and The Legend of Zelda. That 13-episode Legend of Zelda series that came from the Super Mario Brothers show. Yeah, he uh, he worked on that as well. Don Franks. He's a, probably one of the highlights of this movie for me. Like I actually really enjoy when he's on the screen. Both him and Paul Kellman as TJ Hanniger. I really like the two of them a lot. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but I really do like them. Uh, moving on to Alf Humphreys, Humphreys, sorry, as Howard. And he's been in many projects that ranged from First Blood, Rambo First Blood, to Smallville, Funeral Home, to One Magic Christmas. He was in Ernest Rides Again, Rumble in the Bronx. He's done a lot of shit. Um, we're going to move on to Terry Waterland as Harriet. This was her only film. Yeah, she was only in this as Harriet, and that was it. Uh, Thomas Kovacs as Mike. He was in George Mahalka's first film, Pick Up Summer, and he was in the movie Scanners, as well as Helen Udy as Sylvia. She was also in Pick Up Summer. 
Um, she was also in uh, Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. The movie Pin from 1988. If you've ever seen that, that is a weird one, but it's really good. And she did a lot of TV work, which included her being a regular on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And then we have Rob Stein. He plays John. He was in Pickup Summer as well. Like I said, Pickup Summer was George Mahalka's first film. And you could tell he went back to that well and grabbed a lot of people from that to work on this film as well. Um, Patricia Hamilton as Mabel Osborne. She's a Canadian actress known for a lot of TV work. But probably most well-known for her character work as Rachel Lind in the Avon Leah series and the Anne of Green Gables series. Um, she played the character of Rachel Lind in both series. And she's probably most well-known for that, especially here in Canada anyways. Uh, almost done, guys, by the way, with the cast. Gina Dick as Gretchen. And she was in Happy Birthday to Me. So, again, I get to mention that movie. Larry Reynolds is our mayor, Mayor Hannigan. He worked in the sci-fi western film known as Welcome to Blood City. Blood City. Uh, Virus, The End, was the movie he was in. And he was in Blown Away with Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones. We have Jim Murchison as Tommy. He did one episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And then we have Jack Van Ivera as Happy. Happy was, he had a small role in Black Christmas. He was, um, when when the, the townspeople are out looking for the missing girl and whatnot, he was one of the townsfolk that um, was out there helping and whatnot. So he had a very small role in Black Christmas. And he was in the Robert Close film, Deadly Eyes. And finally, Peter Cowper as Harry Warden or The Miner. Um, and he was, he was also in a film with Chevy Chase, uh, back in the day known as Oh Heavenly Dog. So I had to mention that the runtime for the film is roughly between 87 minutes and 93 minutes, depending on the version you watch. It's rated R for violence and gore, frightening scenes, use of alcohol and smoking, profanity, and sex and nudity. Yep, it's a typical slasher, guys. The budget for it was $2.3 million, and its gross was $5.7 million. The synopsis for My Bloody Valentine is off the back of the original VHS cover, and it goes like this. 20 years ago, a tragic accident in a mine on St. Valentine's Day took the lives of five miners. The disaster occurred while supervisors left their posts to attend the town's annual Valentine's Day dance. The only survivor, Harry Warden, was confined to a mental institute after the ordeal. On the disaster's first anniversary, he returned to the town for bloody revenge. That was 19 years ago, and memories have dimmed. Young lovers TJ and Sarah and friend Axel are the townspeople attending another Valentine's party. But then, a box of Valentine candy arrives, containing an ominous message and a blood-soaked heart. Before the night is over... Terror will strike again and again and again. And for this segment of the show, I am calling this Take Your Pick. Which, yeah, I know. I'm going back to the well of Ice Nine Kills because, yes, 
Take Your Pick is the name of the song from Welcome to Horrorwood by Ice Nine Kills. That's about this movie. Um, and there's also the band My Bloody Valentine. They're like, a, what do they call that? Like shoegaze kind of music or dream pop or whatever. Anyways, they got their name from this movie as well. But as for Ice Nine Kills, they wrote the song Take Your Pick, which was a tribute to this Canadian slasher. They wrote it in 2021, which was when My Bloody Valentine would celebrate its 40th anniversary. The thing is, is that too bad that 40 years ago from that date, the censors tore this movie apart. Yes, and it wasn't until 2009 that most of the gore and the violence was restored to the film. So there's a whole thing about the censorship with this film. Um, as for how much was actually taken out of the film, well, that's the real mystery. Because some sources have cited that five minutes of the film were taken out. George Mahalka believes it was nine minutes taken out of the film. I've read two minutes taken out of the film, which is weird because they restored three minutes of the film. So I don't know. But anyway, so what happened was when the film was... When the film was done and all that, they they uh, they brought it, they sent it to the MPAA to you know get the rating and whatnot. MPAA was going to give it an X rating instead of an R, uh, basically because uh, there was a whole backlash at, in 1981 against the Friday the Thirteenth film and also John Lennon's recent murder. Apparently, they felt it was a touchy subject and they didn't want all this blood and violence on the screen, especially so close to after when John Lennon was shot and killed. Um, so George Mahalka basically said that the three minutes that have been restored to the film are all the scenes that con contain the, the gore shots, the kills, the violence and whatnot. He says the other six minutes that he claims that are missing from it were just expositional scenes. Anyways, they were character building scenes and whatnot. And he said, the movie really doesn't need them. He claims that this is 85% of his original vision. Now, the thing is, is that I've seen both versions I'll admit, yeah, I growing up, I always enjoyed the original, but I didn't realize so much was taken out of it until I saw the, you know, the uncut version. I was like, God damn, they did take a lot out. But I mean, and the scenes that were cut, I mean, you had the pre-credit scene where the woman is uh, is pushed back into the pickaxe at the very beginning, which is a great kill scene, by the way. I absolutely love that shot. Um, Mabel's mutilated body, uh, when, when, um, the deputy is in, is it the deputy? No, it's, uh, the police chief, I believe goes in the laundromat and then the door opens and her head pops out and well, we know it's a dummy, but I mean, it's supposed to be Mabel, whatever that was, t that was taken out, um, in the flashback scene where, um, uh, what is it? Harry Warden is uh, cannibalizing a sever severed arm or whatever. I, best, I guess that was taken out. Um, the whole pickaxe through the chin, and then you see it like come through the eye socket and the eyes hanging on the end of the pickaxe. That got taken out. Uh, the face boiling scene with Dave when he gets his head shoved in the pot and it's supposed to be that his face is all deteriorating and whatnot, that got shortened so that you didn't see the gore of the face, but you did see his head get dunked in the water. Oh boy, what else did they take out of it? Uh, Sylvia's uh, shower impalement scene, uh, the, the head shot was taken out. Um, oh my God, there was so much taken out of this. Um, the girl that's killed by the pickaxe near the end of the film. All the blood was edited out. Uh, Axel's father being murdered. 
when we saw that in the flashback, um, it, it, technically they took out the scene where like the miner is ripping out his father's heart. Um, even like when Axel's left arm gets trapped under the rocks at the very end. And then I believe it's Sarah removes the arm because he cut his own arm off. They took most of that out. You just see her like grab the arm basically. So <laughs> there was a lot that was taken out of this film. Um, and it's, it's weird because I've gotten so used to watching the unrated version. I don't notice it now, but I remember seeing it for the first time, the unrated version going, holy shit. Like, and some of the scenes are like merely like a couple seconds long, but it was like, you just, you didn't realize that so much got taken out until you finally got to see it. And was like, holy fuck, that was awesome. Um, but moving on past the gore now, so we've gotten past the whole censorship thing and whatnot. Uh, the film was shot in Nova Scotia, as I mentioned, and the mine scenes are actually filmed in an actual mine. It's never stated in the film what kind of mine Hanager mine really was, but the general assumption is that it's a coal mine. Uh, now the interesting thing was, was when, when they were picking locations for the film, they picked this mine and they said, okay, we're going to shoot here well the locals you know the people that lived in the town and whatnot they decided to clean up the mine for the production crew they were like okay we want this to look great for them this and that cleaned it all up made it spick and span clean well then when the director and the, the, the production crew show up and they're like oh we didn't want that and we actually wanted it to look shoddy and crappy looking so they spent seventy five thousand dollars of the budget on just returning the mine basically to its original state um, because they they wanted it to look, you know, used and they wanted it to look like it, you know, it had been there for, you know, decades and people had worked in it and whatnot. So I don't know. It's it just, it's funny that $75,000 just to put it back after the town thought they were doing them the favor of cleaning it all up. And then of course there's a debacle with the soundtrack. I know I, ranted about blood uh, blood roses black roses earlier but so this soundtrack here's the interesting thing thank you waxwork records for releasing it but apparently okay so first off there's the ballad of harry harry warden that's the song that plays during the end credits the producers wanted it written so they could release it as a vinyl single because they were going to have it like promote the film and whatnot but Due to the lack of funding, the seven-inch single never happened. Now, again, I look at that $75,000 that they had to use to put the mine back to its original state. I'm like, there's $75,000 that could have released that seven-inch single. But anyways, it is what it is. Um, the other thing, though, is that Paul Zaza himself, the composer for the film, did not feel that there was enough demand for the soundtrack. Fans had been requesting it for years but he always felt that there was never a demand for it. So he, he had all the recordings. He just wouldn't release them. Well, then, thankfully, in 2016, Waxwork Records come along and they released a two-variant release. Um, it's now out of print, but a digital version is still allowed. See, that's why I was talking about Black Roses. If you're not going to have a physical format available at least release it digitally. Waxwork Records has done that. I mean, yes, you can still buy the album from like, you know, Discogs or eBay or whatever, but you're going to be paying an arm and a leg for it. <laughs> and in this case, literally, uh, you might as well give them, you know, um, Axel's uh, 
what is it, his, left, his right arm, I think it is, that gets severed off. Yeah, you'd be paying with that to get it. But anyways, there is a digital version. And on top of that, I might also add that you can hear the, the full score on YouTube and Spotify. So I know that for sure. As for the hit song, The Barry, The Barry, The Ballad of Harry Warden, it's a folk song that plays over the end credits, as I mentioned. Here's the thing. So Paul Zaza wrote the song. He did the music and whatnot. But the singer is uncredited. It's actually John McDermott of the, what is it, um, the Irish Tenors. He's from the Irish Tenors. He also formed a group, I know, in like the early 80s known as the Mistletones. He was part of that as well. Anyways, he's a famous uh, Scottish-Canadian singer. He's the one who does the the vocals for the ballad of Harry Warden, um, which is kind of cool because he was just starting out around that time. And McDermott was a friend of Paul Zaza's. And when Paul was, you know, making the, the song for the film, he asked John to sing on it. And John was like, Hey, why not? It's awesome. So that's how that all came to be. Now, as for the story and the actors and the movie and all that sort of stuff that I haven't talked about yet, the idea from the story, I I did mention that, how it came to be. They wanted to settle on a holiday, so they chose Halloween. And hence the working title, The Secret, because it is a secret. Apparently in the song, The Ballad of uh, Harry Warden, there's also a reference to a secret. And that was sort of like a little nod to the um, working title and whatnot. I like the fact that they took a chance on Valentine's Day. I like also that this film... Here's the cool thing about this slasher. We do not have teenagers as the victims. So many slashers at the time. You look at uh, Black Christmas, they're they're college students. Halloween was babysitters and teens. Friday the 13th is teens at a summer camp and stuff like that. This is actually 20-somethings that are like working class people that are getting sliced and diced, chopped up and you know, put to rest and all that sort of shit. And I mean, and then you have a character like Mabel who, you know, she's, she's possibly in her fifties or sixties at this point and stuff. Like it did not have teenagers were the victims. Instead, we had actual like, you know, working adults were the victims of Harry Warden. Um, the thing is, is okay. So I say, I like that it took a chance on, you know, doing it on Valentine's day. Yes, since 1981, we've also had another Valentine's movie that, you know, had some decent success in 2001. As a matter of fact, the opening clip, the very end, very end, very beginning of this episode, you might recognize that, you know, the whole uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Yeah, that came from that uh, movie with that beautiful cast. I mean, we're talking Denise Richards, Marley Shelton. Jessica Capshaw, David Boreanaz. Yeah, I'm talking about Valentine. And yeah, that's that's a great movie. Um, I actually really like it. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a tradition. Usually if I want to get all cliche and whatnot on Valentine's, I will watch My Bloody Valentine and then Valentine after. Um, and Or you can watch any, you know, stupid rom-com movie, obviously, especially those ones with Adam Sandler. But <laughs> um no, don't watch them. They're horrible. But anyways, uh, <laughs> you got to admit, though, like for 1981, let, let's stick with My Bloody Valentine. This was a good movie. It was a good Canadian horror flick, which is kind of nice because it's not Black Christmas. And I know you're saying, well, Black Christmas is one of your favorites. Yes, it is. But 
The thing is, is that whenever people think of Canadian horror, that's usually the first movie they think of is Black Christmas. This one might be just as iconic as Black Christmas, but for whatever reason, it's it's one that doesn't get noticed, which I, as a side note, I'm going to say this quickly. Can I just say the Canadian slashers just seem to have that right feel to them? Um, maybe I'm being... Maybe I'm being biased or whatnot, but growing up, I always liked the slashers. Like, like Prom Night is another good one. Uh, Happy Birthday to Me, I liked Curtains. Um, obviously, this one, My Bloody Valentine and Black Christmas. And it, all of those are great Canadian films. There's a lot of good Canadian films, obviously, but the slashers, I don't know. For some reason, I just feel they have that look, that feel to it that they feel, I don't want to say dirty, but they just have like sort of like a grindhouse feel, but they don't. I know I'm not explaining this very well, but I just know what I'm trying to say. Like they just have that feel to them and whatnot. And this is one of those movies that fits right in there with it. I like the idea that the killer is a minor. It's something that's different. He has a very human feel to him, which, okay, at the time, Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees really weren't that supernatural, but as time went on, they became more like, they were they were indestructible. They always came back and whatnot. I like the fact that My Bloody Valentine basically stands on its own. I know that George Mahalika did approach the producers and the studios and whatnot. He wanted to do... Um, wanted to do like a a sequel i think he had brought up the idea around 2006 and that fell through but then of course we got the remake in 2009 which is interesting because in 1981 this movie got hacked to shit by censors i watched the remake as well before going into this and it's interesting that i'm watching it and i i've only seen it i had only seen it once before this and i totally forgot like there's there's like shots of like full frontal female bodies like nude like, and it was like in 2009, obviously, yeah, it, it takes a lot more to shock people and whatnot, but it's like, you know, when you think about it, the original, the gore is like there, but it's very, oh, it's clearly dated, obviously. But like, I mean, like Mabel, when, when we find Mabel, her head or her, like her head and her torso come out of like the laundry, the, was it the dryer or the laundromat there? You can tell it's not real. Like, you can tell it's a doll and whatnot. I mean, I'm watching the, the remake, and some of that gore is, like, pretty fucking bad. But, I mean, granted, again, here we are in 2009, obviously a little bit more lenient about violence, and not to mention, how do you shock audiences? You go extreme. But it just... It, 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 when I was watching the remake, I was like, it's amazing that the first one got hacked as shit so badly when it first came out, because... It really isn't that bad by today's standards. Um, But getting back to the idea of the killer and whatnot, I have always liked that he was the minor. I liked that he had the mask on. The mask was a cool thing, too, because it kept the identity hidden. Because as we find out, spoilers, the killer hunting down these, like, you know, horny Valentine's Day loving victims is not actually Harry Warden. Um, It's actually one of them, you know, and... So, I don't know, the the mask works, and I like that, you know, it's just, it's a cool concept. I, I don't know why, there's something about miners' masks, it's sort of like gas masks and stuff like that, they're creepy looking, and I think that it works. Interestingly enough, I mean, you know, Michael Myers made a William Shatner mask look creepy, and Jason made a hockey mask look creepy, but this, I, I just like the look of that 
that mining mask. It just works. Um, in terms of the dialogue in this film, I'm not going to lie. For the most part, it's not bad. But some of the dialogue with the male characters is quite dated. Like, guys like that couldn't get away with talking about women the way they do in this film. Granted, I mean, it's not extreme. But, you know... It, there's even the one girl actually as a matter of fact i believe it's patty is the one that says you know something about she's got her dress and she's like she's like going at the rate he we're he's going with me or something like that i'm not getting out alive like which i you know foreshadowing and whatnot <laughs> they have no idea but it was just it was funny because it's almost like they're like they're treating like their sexual escapades is like something that like you know is like this like I don't know. The guys act like it's like this conquest and the women act like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. And it's like, well, eventually you will <laughs> not the way you think, but it, I don't know. It's just when I was watching it, I'm like, I was just thinking to myself, you know, this dialogue, it's funny. And I mean, it's 1981. It's obviously a different time era. I'm not one of these people. It's like, Oh, cancel this movie. You know, uh, hashtag you better apologize kind of thing. No, I'm not, I'm not into that shit, but it was just <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's not how guys talk today, but, um, or they do and they just don't let you know. Um, but I will say like it, overall, the dialogue's not horrible. It, it, it works. It's fun. It that's the thing about this movie. It's fun. The special effects for the movie as well. That's the thing. They're not, it's not as bad as the censors made it sound. It's something that I was sort of pointing out earlier. Like the blood is too red, for example, like it's got that paint feel to it you know like like you saw in a lot of like the 70s and 80s giallo films and whatnot it always looks like red paint you know and as much as the eye popping scene is a lot of fun and whatnot it doesn't come off as lifelike at all like it really does look kind of corny and you can tell it's like a latex eyeball and stuff so when it came to the sensors and again I, I i know i say this a lot but i watch this movie and i'm like why i don't get it even Okay, even if the whole John Lennon murder thing was part of their reasoning, he was shot. Uh, and not that I'm, I, I'm not trying to make that sound like it was any better because, no, it's fucking horrible. But I'm saying, like, the violence in this does not make me think of John Lennon. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of where I'm going with what I'm trying to say about this. I will say, though, that the first kill of this movie is definitely the great way to kick off this movie definitely works the whole whodunit feel between tj and axel because as the movie goes on you start to realize it's not harry ward and you're like who is it it's obviously one of these people and they kind of play off the whole tj and axel thing because of their rivalry over sarah because you know tj left and he came back sarah's confused as to who she wants to be with and whatnot as the movie goes on it starts to feel like it's overstaying its welcome but aside from that part of it the pacing actually is really good for this film it's quite quick i mean it doesn't take long to get from kill to kill to kill and stuff it, it and at the same time it's still for you know it's progressing through the story and whatnot it does work movies that range between you know 80 to 90 minutes are quite common in the slasher genre and because of that this follows along in that suit so for me it works now here's the thing critics critics back in 1981 well i say this even about them today but they took themselves a little too seriously when it came to this movie which what else is new but i mean here's the thing I, there were actually complaints by critics 
in their reviews because of the funding that came, you know, the funding that came from Canada for this film, in particular, the Canadian Film Development Corporation, because they were taking taxed money to partially pay for this film. And of course, there was critics that were coming out and saying, they're using your taxpayers' money to make this slasher flick. Okay, well, whatever. I mean, clearly... If you have, you know, ever even lived in Canada, you know, a lot of our taxpayer money goes to shit we didn't fucking want. So, (laughs) hello, welcome to politics. But on top of that, critics also like to point out that they felt this was a ripoff of Halloween or Friday the 13th. I mean, but I believe they even said the same thing about the burning when that came out only three months after this. So, yeah, again, whatever. Uh, oh, and did you know that Gene Siskel hated this film? Yeah, because we didn't see that coming. No shock there. But then there's also some critics that actually did like this film, uh, specifically from the Detroit Free Press and the New York Daily News. Both of them liked the film, noting that, yeah, nothing really new is here in this film, but the film does what a typical slasher does. And on top of that, This was that kind of movie that, like, you know, they likened it to the idea of, you know, it's a date movie that you go and something scares you. You cuddle with your loved one, this and that. It's perfect because it takes place on Valentine's as well. So it's definitely going to be the, you know, the movie that the couples go to. So in terms of that aspect, they felt it worked really well. Now, when you look at current ratings, I mean, on IMDb, it stands at a 6.3 out of 10, with 6 and 7 being the most common ratings. Um, Gene Siskel's rating still larkins hard over this movie at a 1 out of 4 stars. Who cares? Rotten Tomatoes has it at 58%. Quentin Tarantino. Ah, there you go. There's a big name. This is actually his favorite slasher. He has actually come out and said that My Bloody Valentine is his favorite slasher of all time. The podcast zero rating. So here's how I kind of looked at this film. I mean, I always enjoyed this film. Even when I was younger, I enjoyed it as an R-rated release. Despite so much of the gore missing, I still like the story. The story is the same, regardless of whether the blood and the violence was present. It's the heart of the movie that makes this a fun experience. In more ways than one. Of course, a lot of that heart scenes were brought back later when the gore was re-added. With the gore added, I will say, is undoubtedly a lot more fun. There's definitely some cool scenes to, to, you know, take in and have a good... More so you have a laugh at it than you do get freaked out. Because, like I said, it is dated. But it's still fun. And that's what matters. The great use of music... Paul Zaza's score is great, and the ballad of Harry Warden is iconic, especially within the fans of the horror genre, specifically this film, obviously, but you play that for most horror fans, and they know where that song came from. The acting, for the most part, is fun. There's some good use of humor, humor, sorry, not hermer, <laughs> both intentional and unintentional. I, I think there were some things that, you know, as a fan, we tend to laugh at. I don't think they wanted us to laugh at it, but it happens. Um, I, as I stated earlier, this movie just has that feel to it. I don't know how to really explain it, but it does feel like it's it belongs in the 80s slasher family. That, too, though, can also be what's seen as part of the film's blemish. Um as it is another slasher at a time when the slasher boom was at its fucking peak. But kudos to using the hallmark good feeling of love holiday 
as the backdrop taking place in a mine that I thought was creative, creating a character like Harry Warden to add to the list of classic killers. I like that. Um, overall podcast zero rating is eight out of 10 bloody hearts. Yes. Cupid has called for a homicide and this movie delivers many displays of such violent power. That's how I feel about this movie. Honestly, it, it I like it. It's, it's uh, being a guy who Valentine's day has always been that holiday or that occasion, I guess you call it where I'm like, ah, it's fucking Hallmark making money off people. What the fuck? Why do I need one specific day to tell people I love them when I can tell them that the other 360, what, four days in a year or whatever? I, I, I've never understood Valentine's. I know that it has its, you know, its roots in like, you know, Roman history and whatnot. I, I don't fucking care. Valentine's Day sucks, okay? It's just, it's a stupid fucking day that I don't care for. But at least this movie gives me a reason to actually say, okay, it's February 14th. I'll watch this. Why not? Let's watch some blood and guts. So yeah, eight out of 10 bloody hearts. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for returning. I know three week intervals. I will be eliminating that soon enough. Uh, once I get back on the roll of things and whatnot, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to, I'm going to be completely honest as a podcaster. It, Last couple weeks, I've felt very uninspired, and I didn't want to release shit. So I was like, mm, you know what? Plus, I got tied up in the whole Olympic thing and whatnot. And plus, I've been on vacation from my job, so it's been like my sleep habits have been all over the place, and I've just been enjoying some time alone and stuff like that. So all in all, though, it was it was better that I waited. You know, I, I didn't want to release something where everyone's like, that was shit. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you know what? Just take my time on it and put out a good product. So thank you for coming back. Obviously, you know where you can find the podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Player FM, um, uh, Amazon, and the list goes on. It's on most major, you know, podcast streaming apps and whatnot you can also find it on social media on facebook instagram and twitter uh facebook obviously is facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and on twitter at wlb podcast zero i've talked a lot so i'm not going to talk much more i'm just going to say that i'm going to close out obviously this episode with the ballad of harry warden but I'm also going to announce the next episode because there was a trailer that came out this past week. And sometimes I like remakes, sometimes I don't, whatnot. This is a movie that I think actually is going to be good with the remake um, because I saw this trailer and immediately posted it on the Facebook page. I had to. It, was, it, it looks solid. And not to mention, I think the original film from 1984 does sort of need an upgrade so i'm looking forward to seeing this so the next episode we're going to travel back to 1984 and talk about a classic stephen king story that is now being remade and oh why am i burying the lead it's firestarter we're going to talk about that uh, next week or i should say next episode just in the event it takes me two weeks to release this thing but hopefully it shouldn't um so that's that. We're going to close out with the Ballad of Harry Warden. And yeah, you know how this ends. 
You need to shut the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dumb dick. <laughs> Once upon a time, on a sad valentine, in a place known as Hannigan Mine, a legend began every woman and man would always remember the time. And those who remained were never the same. You could see the fear in their eyes. Once every year, as the 14th draws near, there's a hush all over the town. For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. Twenty years came and went and everyone spent the 14th in quiet regret And those still alive know the secret survives In the darkness that looms in the night For oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago this little town when the 14th comes round There's a silence and fear in the air Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there Or oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago